You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Sarah Doughty. She is a customer success champion, and she is founder of Crescendo Labs. We're going to talk to her about the work that she does with companies helping really figure out this question of customer success. How do you really treat a customer, create a customer journey? I think it's so important, particularly for service-based companies, uh, that we really design this, that we really think about this strategically. And I think so many companies that I've run into just haven't really thought about it, and they leave it up to chance, and generally leaving something important up to chance is not a good approach. So you really talk about, like, how do you think about this strategically, and how do you really be intentional about what you're doing? So I'm excited for the conversation. With that, Sarah, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Bruce. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. So let's talk a little bit about background first, before we dig into all these topics. What was your professional experience? How, how did you get into this? What was your background? Tell us a little bit of the story. Yeah, thanks. Well, I started my career at one of the big consulting firms. So I spent a handful of years there right out of school, which, by the way, is a fantastic education coming out from a new, uh, younger person just to be exposed to everything consulting exposes you to. Yeah. And, and then from there, I went to a small boutique firm. And in my time consulting, I really focused on large scale BI and analytics implementation. So that was at a time when BI was really relatively new and mm-hmm. um, a hot thing. And now everybody's doing that. But it got it got me involved with very customized solutions that we were doing professional services and consulting around. And from there, I actually made a switch and I went into the SaaS world to start work at a startup who was only a couple of million dollars at that time. And I went in to lead their customer success department. And, mm-hmm. you know, looking back on that now, I was really naive to what SaaS was all about, what subscription-based modeling was all about. What When I heard customer success back then, I thought about customer service, support, you know, project management, really keeping a customer happy. But it really evolved in my mind to so much more than that. And I was at that organization for a number of years and saw it through a lot of different growth stages, a really successful exit. And since then, I've gone off to build my own consulting practice focused on customer success because, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that are coaches and and helping to train and develop sales individuals, but there aren't a lot of folks focused on the customer success part of an organization. And I thought that was a real need and um, saw an opportunity to really help companies develop that part of their business while at the same time helping to realize value for their end clients and, you know, growing more productively by being better at at doing that function of what they do. Yeah. 
And so tell us about what was it like starting your own practice here? I mean, what was there a particular situation that came up? Was it a very intentional? Uh, what was the early stages like? I'm always curious with folks that have, um, you know, started their own practice and gone out on their own. Well, you know, it, it's, it was fairly deliberate. It was something, you know, I had been a little bit drawn to for a long time. I'm just a bit of an entrepreneurial person, plus yeah. coming from the consulting background, I knew what that world was. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't know is the amount amount of business development and, you know, brand building that you have to do. That's a lot of work and it can be a real emotional roller coaster. It's an emotional roller coaster if you're doing that for any company, but when you're doing it on behalf of yourself and what you're selling is yourself, it can be really tough some days and just full of elation other days, but you learn a ton. And I I feel really lucky that I've been at very small organizations where I got exposed to really great best practices around marketing and business development. So I didn't come in totally green, but definitely still a learning experience. But it's been a great a great ride so far. Yeah, it's never a dull moment, I find, in the yeah. early stages of right. creating your company. So let's talk, let's dig into this whole kind of customer success, you know, the customer journey. Like, I guess, how how do most businesses kind of approach this? What do they get right? What do they get wrong? I mean, what what is kind of the state of the industry or the, the state of business when it comes to really thinking about customer success? Sure. Well, I think, unfortunately, the only thing that's consistent is that everybody defines it differently. Yeah. Um, so it, it is really hard because the size of your organization, what you do, whether or not you sell a product, it can really alter how you think about customer success. And, you know, and, and like I said in the beginning, I didn't have a good definition of what that was a, a decade ago. And a lot of folks are still there. I think many times people think of customer success as service and support, you know, taking great care of your clients, ensuring that you're creating a good experience for them, answering their questions and solving their problems right away. I think what seemed, and and that's fantastic, right? And if you're in an earlier stage company, you're often hiring really caring individuals who are very service oriented to do that. And it works really well. But I think what happens as a company grows and maybe what you offer to your clients becomes more complex and you have more clients, it's hard to scale that because when it starts, it's a very white glove, one-to-one approach. And then as you get bigger, it's hard to do that across a larger number of clients or a larger service or product offering. So things might start to degrade a little bit at that point. Yeah. And and I find that it becomes the one of the big kind of bottlenecks or one of the big um, kind of ceilings to a company's growth is their ability to kind of switch from a model of this kind of the founder being very kind of involved in, you know, customer product design and customer development and, you know, even customer, even sales and customer relationship management and account management to one being where these things are part of systems that, you know, are designed around processes and have checklists and touch points and, you know, people that are trained in different ways. It's, it's a hard transition to make for many companies. It really is. And you mentioned a good point, Bruce, that a lot of times founders might be more focused on the sales aspect of the business or maybe even the product aspect of the business. And so 
oftentimes in early days, customer success can be run by maybe even somebody overseeing engineering because of the relationship okay. between implementation and the product. So it can kind of fall by the wayside a little bit, and it, it should be really deliberately thought about in those early stages and planned for, even if you don't invest in it right away, but planning for how you want to do that because it quickly shifts to having a very large impact on your business. I mean, if you think about, almost picture a graph with two different lines. If you've got new business, that's almost like a linear relationship year over year. You're gonna continue to add and you're gonna have certain goals at a certain percentage rate of growth. Mm -hmm. But when you think about customer success, that line is lower in the beginning, but then very quickly, all of a sudden, you're responsible for retaining all of that business, which is getting bigger and bigger every year, but then also growing and expanding that business potentially. And so that impact line starts to become a hockey stick much quicker than the new business sales line. So it is something you should think about because it has the chance to have such a huge impact on your business. Yeah. Uh, and and how does a company's strategy play into this? I, the one thing I found is, you know, a lot of times early stage companies are, you know, when they're kind of uh, under a couple million dollars, they're they're kind of doing everything for everybody still. <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't really figured out like what is their unique capability and who is a real kind of core customer. And, and so they have a hard time saying no to things, you know, that they, they still want to say yes to all the different, all the different leads coming at them and opportunities coming at them. How does your ability to really develop and hone a particular strategy relate to the customer experience and customer success kind of strategy that you you develop? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think it goes back to a couple of different core things. I think you have to maybe step back as you're going through or nearing that that chasm from very early stage to, to more growth. You have to kind of step back and you have to deliberately think about what's your go-to-market model because you're going to have those customers that aren't an ideal fit early okay. on. You're going to have customers that, you know, they know what stage you're in and they're going to have, you know, certain things they accept about that, but then they're going to ask for things on the other side, right? Like mm -hmm. have product input, have service, you know, service offering input, that type of thing. But then you're going to have to shift. And I think it requires you to go back and look at your go-to-market model and what what is your total addressable market? What types of clients within that are you focused on? And then very quickly along with that, identifying your ideal client profile. Because you know, it might be scary to niche down like that a little bit, but I think it's worth looking at that and where are you going to be focused. And and that's not just to be able to hone in on the right service model offering. That's That helps your marketing. It helps your sales efficiency, all of those things. Yeah. And why? I'm curious, like as, as a customer success strategist, like how does that help, you know, make those things easier, make those things more efficient? Oh, sure. So if you are able to start to move toward a model where you're bringing in more customers and they're a better fit, all of a sudden you can start to almost productize how you go about servicing right. those customers. So you could say, you know, yes, we are going to have an offering where we just pretty much do everything for them, let's say, where, you know, they get the standard, but then we're going to provide that white glove service. But the customers that we provide that to are paying for that. Yeah. And then you have different segments potentially of your customer base where you don't offer all of those services that take a lot of work 
that is above and beyond, it's more efficient and you can do it at, at more scale and you can start to bring in other departments that are doing things one to many. So maybe not everything is done in person, but you're doing things through webinars or through marketing campaigns or, or different activities like that that help you not to do everything through an individual. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly found in my in my own my own business is, you know, my my premium clients, you know, the ones that I spend, you know, a lot of time with one on one. I travel to see them. You know, they're they're paying a premium price, you know, for those that can't afford the premium price, you know, I have other offerings, but they're, you know, they may be online, they may be group programs, you know, and I can still kind of provide value and provide content, but the format is changed so that it's still kind of highly profitable for me, but allows them to have a lower price point. And and so kind of figuring out those different kind of service you know, levels and pricing levels and things like that. I, I've certainly have found companies that do that right can figure out how to work with lots of different types of or different levels of clients that are at different stages of growth and maybe can afford different things, but still make it valuable and you know profitable for them as service providers. So tell me a little bit more about when you go to actually work with a company. Like, what does that engagement look like? What are the what are the things you're doing with them? What are the questions? What is the what does the process look like? How do you actually help them create evaluate their own their existing situation and create new models, new customer service strategies? Sure. Well, I work with clients in a couple of different ways. One is just through training. You know, so there's a couple of things I do workshops around that I believe anyway are very important skills to folks that are handling your customers post initial sale that just aren't trained into those individuals because they don't come from a certain background. It's kind of ironic. If you think about customer success, oftentimes you put people in those roles who are very people people, right? You know, they they love working with others. They love to provide service. They're very pleasant. But it's interesting because those folks don't really know how to leverage that position they're in. They don't build buyer cohesion, for instance. They're not really great at change management or influencing others to adopt new processes or to change how they think about things or align with others. You know, and a lot of them come from back management backgrounds, you know, maybe implementation backgrounds. They don't come from a sales background where those kinds of skills are trained. So oftentimes I might be working with the team to help build out those skills. But when I'm going in for more of a process type of project with an organization, we often start by doing what I call a client journey mapping, where we look at what is the experience they take their customers through from the time they make a purchase all the way through onboarding, driving use and optimization of that use, and then into renewal and referral. What does that process look like today? What are the activities involved? What are the artifacts? And then what is your customer feeling emotionally? What are their attitudes at those different stages? And then all of that is done from a customer's perspective. And then once we do that, we look at what are your employees feeling during those different stages? Because if you think about it like an iceberg, you know, your customer experience is on the top, but if there's friction or tension underneath, they're going to feel that. So we talk about, you know, what are internal processes happening and what are the attitudes and emotions of the employees? And that helps really uncover where, where we're doing really great things that we need to do more consistently or more frequently. It also uncovers where there's tension points 
And then that really kind of develops a blueprint for us of these are the gaps we need to fill in. These are the things we really need to hit the pedal on because we're doing them really well and they could be really impactful if we do more of them. And that kind of gives us our blueprint for what we might work on together to evolve their process. Yeah, this, it's such a valuable exercise, particularly for service companies, is to really think about that. And <laughs> you know, I've done some of these sessions where we've kind of gone through this mapping exercise and I think. 100% of the time, like when I've, I've got a room of, you know, say six people working through this and you'll get seven different opinions on how does the process currently work? Because they just don't know a lot of times. Exactly. Well, I mean, sometimes that initial workshop where you're mapping those things out is, it's just worth that three, four hours to be together and have the right folks yeah. in the room talking about what is it that we do and how do you what do you mean that doesn't happen all the time I thought mm-hmm. that was something we did regularly you know because as you grow um, it, it's really hard to have consistency across some of those things and you're hiring smart people which you're giving autonomy to and that's great but you know sometimes people are just doing what they need to do and then it becomes a habit well and a lot of it uh, you know I, I talk a lot about um, local optimization versus system optimization and you'll get something that's happening because oh it's easy for accounting to send the invoice this way you know meanwhile it causes you know all this drama on engagement management because you know it doesn't have the right number on it or they didn't get the approval or there was something that needed to be changed and they didn't correct it you know it was like uh, i just find that so much of organizational drama particularly around growth companies is you know, people don't have the ability, you know, to really see how the overall process is working. So they do things that make sense for them because what they're trying to get done, but, you know, it causes drama on, on other stages of the process. And, you know, having that purview, that kind of system level view of really what is happening here is so important for these companies. It is. And and then add to that, when you're at an earlier stage, you know, you've got folks that are just wearing a lot of different hats. Like sometimes you don't even have roles defined for certain jobs that happen. And so as you grow and then you start to be able to segment different responsibilities, you just want to avoid folks making, starting to do things because they're making assumptions. You know, so that exercise is something I do when I start to work with an organization, but I think it's healthy for a company that's growing to do that once a year or so anyway, just to make sure you're always aligned. Yeah. And what are some things that, having done these exercises a lot, what are some of the things you've seen that companies sort of typically get wrong or are typically problematic, particularly for service companies? But what, what do you see that's, that, that typically comes up in this that, you know, that repeats again and again? There's a couple of things. One of the biggest things is that the transition between sales and delivery or sales and customer success is mm-hmm. usually kind of clunky for a lot of organizations. Mm-hmm. And they're not doing a great job of transferring information. And they very rarely, if, if they talk about it, which sometimes doesn't happen, they're not always talking about and definitely oftentimes not sharing success criteria for a client. And that's really critical because, you know, if you think about who a salesperson is talking to in the sales cycle, they're talking with executive sponsors, right? Folks who can make purchase decisions. And they have one view of what success looks like and why they would invest. Then you move into actually making that a reality through delivery and customer success. And the folks you're working with there probably have a different opinion about what success looks like. And sometimes that can be even conflicting. So I think of it as our job 
as we work with clients to not only make sure we're aligned with them on what are the expectations, but to help them align with each other on what success looks like, because otherwise it's it's very hard to hit two different targets at the same time. So that's something that many organizations just don't have a great handle on and need some consistency and maybe even systems around. And then I think another really big opportunity for a lot of companies is to help support their end client with change management as they're rolling out a service or a technology because oftentimes those things require folks to have awareness around why the implementation and the partnership is in place. You need to create some desire for the folks who are involved in the project and and the end users of the end result of it to want to make that change. And then you have to reinforce when folks start to move in that positive direction. And a lot of times those change management practices are really missing from our, you know, how we think about things and bring people along. And it can lead to folks, your end clients not getting as much value out of the investment that they've made as they could. Yeah. I'm curious what else you can learn from actually talking to customers around this. I mean, how any good strategies or practices that you use or recommend to clients in terms of how to actually get insights from customers? Because I think a lot of times I certainly have found that all levels of the organization, but particularly leaders inside an organization, often don't have as much real kind of you know, firsthand knowledge of, of really what's happening on customer engagements and, and conversations and, and certainly, you know, from the customer point of view, how is this coming across? What's working? What's not working? How do you get that insight? How do you collect that data? Well, I think it's really important to build client feedback loops into your process. And it should be, you should approach that in a programmatic way. And what I mean by that is you should do it at different stages So I think it's a great idea to, you know, gather feedback post-sale on what was it like to work with you through a sales cycle. You should collect that information post-implementation. You should collect it at the end of a renewal, and then you should collect it in between, you know, when they're using and, you know, taking advantage of your services. So I think it's important to have a cadence of collecting that. And then I think you also need to collect it from different stakeholder groups at your client because you're right the executive sponsor level at your end client could have just a really different view of of you as a partner because of the way they engage with you than your end users might so i think building that program is really important and then if you do have a product If there are ways you can incorporate gathering really quick hits of feedback from your user community, I think, you know, that's a great idea, too, because you want feedback about your services, but you also, if you're if you're delivering a product to folks, want to get product feedback as well. And, you know, things are moving to such a community based way of doing things now. If you can set up user communities or, you know, set up client advisory boards, different things like that, it's important to get feedback about what it's like to work with you. But I think it's also important just to get feedback about what folks are feeling because of the role that they're in, because of the industry that they're in, you know, what's top of mind, because that could help you be more innovative and proactive about thinking about what's next for your company too. Yeah. I guess I would call it an untapped resource for most companies 
and you have these relationships with folks, right? You're doing business with them. You're providing them services. You know, the fact is you can get insights about other problems, other challenges they have, or how, how the thing you're solving for them is part of a bigger something that, you know, you might be able to see, you know, a, a bigger opportunity or a higher level solution or, you know, a, there's a whole pricing strategy I have, which is about value. And so, so you can find a higher value you can deliver and actually increase your rates if you can actually increase the value of the problem you're solving. But I think a lot of companies just don't take advantage of that. And, and some of it, I think it's because it's it can be kind of hard and it takes time and you need to kind of set up processes and things like that. But also, I think it's mindset. I mean, people don't think about about that as being kind of a, a source for new ideas. And any good examples or ways in which you've seen companies use that relationship they have with customers to actually find new services or higher value services to offer to folks? Yeah, I was um, a part of an organization one time where they did what they called a client advisory board. And their end client was HR. You know, so think about the the head of talent within an organization. And so what they did is they held actually three different sessions in different parts of the country. And they this is pre-pandemic, but they got yeah. folks together for two half-day sessions. And they had a third-party analyst come in and lead that session asking about, you know, problems and pain they faced in their roles. And, and these were executive-level leaders. So, you know, they weren't talking about the the clicks and bits about what they were doing day to day. They were talking about like from a talent strategy perspective, these are the things we face. And it was really insightful. And the organization I was with brought leadership, but they also brought somebody from product. They brought, you know, somebody from marketing because you can utilize that information to really build a brand that resonates with your buyer to enhance your product. And, you know, it is hard to take the time and put the effort forth to create those situations. But I'll say every time I've worked with a client and we've collected feedback from customers, whether it was through an exercise that involved or or even a survey that we did, like it's so invigorating when you start to get that yeah. feedback. Like You feel like, oh, I know so much about my customers. I know what to do. I have these insights. Like It's really empowering when you do start to collect that information. It, it, it rewards itself, that effort. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you mentioned in the beginning, and I, I kind of wanted to come back to it, is this the training you work you do for folks. And I, I'm curious how much of the training, like when you're working with an organization and you, you're kind of looking at the strategy, but then you look at the training side, what, what is it that you train on? Is this, is this skills and kind of strategies? Is it mindset? Is it, you know, how much of this is kind of psychology and how much of this is, you know, practical skills that you're helping a team develop? Yeah, that's a really great question. I, if I if you had asked me without thinking about it too much, I would say it's skills. But uh, I think it actually is a psychological shift a little bit because, uh, you know, if you think about who I'm typically training, I'm training customer success or delivery folks for the most part. And but they see themselves a certain way. They see themselves as problem solvers, people who go in and processes in place or put technology in place. And they're there to answer questions and, you know, support their customer. They don't see themselves as salespeople. And that word actually, like sales, is kind of a dirty word to a lot of those groups. But when you think about what selling should be, at least, selling should be solving problems for a client. And it should be getting to know them and knowing their pain and what impacts they need from partnering with you. 
And customer success and delivery teams, I mean, that's, they're great at that, right? They're doing it every day and they are in positions where they're really able to build great relationships with clients. They build a lot of trust. But then if you ask them to, you know, broaden their network or, you know, build relationships with new people they don't interact with every day, it's really uncomfortable for them. So part of what I do in my workshops, and I have different ones, but, you know, if you think about the relationship building workshop that I do, it's essentially about building buyer cohesion. Because when somebody makes an investment in a service or a product, they oftentimes can't do that on their own. They have to get a a group of folks to approve that within their company. They have to get buy-in from different people. And that takes work. And and you can't be single-threaded anymore these days, right? Because people leave organizations all the time and you can't put your relationship at risk that way. So how do you start to uncover who are, what are the important roles for you to know? Just like making that realization, once an initial sale is made, you can't rely on one person. You still can't rely on one person. You have to build a broader network. And then how do you start to really objectively measure how good a relationship is? Because everybody goes off of gut and you can't do that. You have to look at elements of trust that are built and score your relationship on that. And then how do you start to understand understand what those individuals care about, both emotionally and rationally, because that at the intersection of those two things, that's where decisions get made. And then how do you start to recognize what power those individuals have within their company? Because that helps you know how you might build broader relationships and influence change. So that's just one example. But I think there is a lot of psychology around how different individuals at a company see themselves because of a role that they're in. And we're all kind of working towards common goals, right? And, you know, how do you really take advantage of the spot that you're in and, you know, move toward the company goals because you can and you have the power to. Yeah. Sarah, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you and about the work that you do, what's the best place to get that information? Well, you can go to my website, crescendo-labs.com. And um, you can obviously find me on LinkedIn, Sarah Doughty, and um, there's lots of information about what I do and, and my background there as well. I'd love to connect with people. Great. I'll make sure that the links are in the show notes so people can click through, get that information. Sarah, thank you for taking the time today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Bruce. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.